Tales from the Reliquary. Rapids, Minnesota, 2005. The following research comes predominantly from an article from the Washington Post written by Elizabeth Evitz Dickinson. I encourage you to read that article in full in the episode description link. In 1939, the world was blessed with what is commonly referred to as the most viewed movie of all time. When it was released, The Wizard of Oz was a bright spot of hope, fantasy, color, and charm at the dawn of World War II. The film needs no introduction, and there are whole podcasts out there, I'm sure, that are devoted to the intricacies, legends, personalities, and artistic achievements of one of America's greatest gifts to the world. One of the key components of the film, as you know, I'd be shocked if you haven't seen it or were at least culturally unaware, is the magical pair of kicks that protagonist Dorothy Gale receives when she inadvertently kills the tyrannical Wicked Witch of the East. In the novel by L. Frank Baum, which the movie musical adapted, these are the Silver Slippers. But with the advent of color film, MGM, the studio behind The Wizard of Oz, wanted to give them more of a pop, and so they became the famous Ruby Slippers of Hollywood fantasy. But there wasn't just one magical pair of shoes. The star of the show was Judy Garland, who I am legally bound to refer to as legendary actress, singer, triple threat, icon, breaker of change, the unburnt, and the mother of Liza. She was going to be doing a lot of dancing in this film, and sequins have the tendency to fly off no matter how well they're sewed on. So five pairs of ruby slippers were commissioned by MGM Costuming. Really, though, there was nothing about this pair of famous footwear that couldn't be replicated by someone with a glue gun and some sewing know-how. The shoes were actually white pumps from the Inez Shoe Company in Los Angeles, California, painted and then overlaid with a sewn sequin netting. The rest was ribbons and rhinestones, and believe it or not, the magic of Technicolor. The three-strip film technique actually saturates color to an incredible degree on film, which is the same reason you get such bright, intense colors in the final film ever to use the process, Dario Argento's Suspiria, released in 1977. By the start of the 70s, old Hollywood was, well, old, and times were tough. MGM's lots were taken over by a guy with a not-at-all-fake-guy name of Kirk Kirkernian, who has proceeded to sell off all the assets and props on hand, and his big meal ticket were five sets of ruby slippers. All of MGM's props were bought for $1.5 million by David Weiss and Kent Borner, who went on to auction off the Hollywood memorabilia. To his credit, The Wizard of Oz was one of Warner's favorite films, and so finding a market for the valuables was a labor of love. If they sold at auction today, a pair of the ruby slippers worn by Judy Garland is said to be worth $5 million. At the time, the auction bidders were anonymous, and one pair was already in the possession of a woman from Tennessee who had won one of the pairs in a promotion for the original release of the film. 
The most currently accessible pair is in the Smithsonian Museum of American History, where it's one of the most widely viewed displays. Another pair was purchased by American film actor Leonardo DiCaprio for display at the Academy Motion Pictures of Arts and Sciences. A test screening pair came into possession of the late great actress Debbie Reynolds. Warner's good friend, an acting coach named Michael Shaw, purchased one of the pairs for $2,500 and would display the shoes as part of their ongoing roadshow. The Judy Garland Museum in Grand Rapids, Judy Garland's hometown, paid Shaw to rent the shoes over the following decades. And in 2005, they went back on display, seated under a glass case with surprisingly minimal security, much to Shaw's consternation. Shocker, in August of that year, director of the museum, John Kelsch, received a late-night call that the glass case had been smashed and the ruby slippers stolen. I wish I could say that the culprit was spotted fleeing the scene on a broom, projecting her crime and smoke over the Grand Rapids night sky, but alas. The main players in tracking down the theft were a little bit more experienced than Scarecrow, Tin Man, and Lion. The team was headed by investigator Brian Matson and joined by patrol sergeant Andy Morgan and investigators Bob Stein and Gene Bennett. Most of the crew assembled were not used to thefts of this magnitude, Grand Rapids being a rather small town with relatively little crime. From the looks of it, the thief had broken through the emergency door of the museum. While the door was internally alarmed, the signal that would have summoned the police had been disabled due to kids accidentally using the doors during visiting hours and basically making a headache for everybody. The docents had forgotten to rearm the doors at night. It was basically a smash-and-grab job. And in a small town like Grand Rapids, there was a fair share of gossip as to who did the deed. All that was left behind at the scene of the crime was one tiny, telltale red sequin. Citizens in town speculated that the shoes had been hidden or concealed in one of the many local flooded mining pits, which had always given off an aura of mystery. Others thought it was just those darn kids. Local youth had stolen the shoes as a prank, and realizing the extent of, much, of how much trouble they were in, had dumped them into the pits or burnt them on a bonfire. People also suspected an inside job, with the end game being an insurance payoff. Though unlikely, other theories were that it was now in the possession of some crazed Wizard of Oz or Judy Garland-obsessed fan, who I really want to picture gazing at the shoes on a spotlit altar under a gilded portrait of Judy Garland herself, while said culprit sips from a martini in one hand and holds a small dog in the other, all while clad in a bathrobe of pink flamingo feathers. At least that's more of a fun idea than some beloved piece of Hollywood memorabilia sitting at the bottom of a rotting mining pit. Tips from criminal informants did not bear much fruit. A woman arrested at a traffic stop who had given a suspiciously false name said that she knew a guy who had some shoes. After staking the place out and approaching the homeowner, the man admitted that he had purchased the shoes at a garage sale. Thinking they'd finally struck the mother load, the investigators had the man return with a shoebox and two besequent slippers with a big Made in China sticker on them. Needless to say, this wasn't it. Then, in a very film noir twist, a detective got a call from someone who had recounted the story of a Hollywood exec who had been taken to a shady garage in order to purchase an authentic pair of Dorothy slippers. When the executive went to the police, they came back to find the shoes and the mysterious seller had fled the scene. This disclosure led to a tip from a so-called middleman who promised to lead detectives to the shoes for a monetary reward. Photos attesting to their authenticity were sent over to investigators and a deal was struck. 
the FBI was soon called in to help manage the claim. A lawyer representing the middleman approached all parties involved with an offer. And that's where the story gets both weird and kind of anticlimactic. Because it turns out this treasure actually was recovered. In 2017, the FBI, in collaboration with Grand Rapids Police, revealed to the public the successful return of the stolen ruby slippers. They are back in safe hands. Case closed, right? Well, technically, yes. But there are hundreds of questions left unanswered. The identity of our thief is likely known, but only to investigators. And whatever deal was struck was done so in order to protect their identity. The major question then remains, why and who? The motive appears to have been money. But who was behind the heist? All is known is that the middleman came from a southern state. Everything else remains a tightly guarded secret. But then again, should it matter? The shoes, which are still being held as evidence by the FBI until the respective parties can find a suitable home, are safe. Until then, we can only speculate what sort of personality was behind their theft and eventual surrender 